Hello, everybody, and welcome to On Gravel. This week, it's inches and integrity. Are you lying to your hunting buddy, the record books, your wife, or all of the above? We are joined, as always, by Andrew McKean, this time wounded. His appetite for physical destruction of himself has finally reached a tipping point, and he references both his hip and his labrum in reasons that he cannot achieve his dreams. Uh, also, Eric Dinger has some exciting news around his son's fishing exploits, and we learned that perhaps kids don't mail things very often. That's all I remember that happened this episode. I am Aaron Hitchens. It's on gravel. <laughs> Between where you are and where you want to go, likely lies the gravel road. Sometimes the drive is more fun than the destination. And this is the trip where everyone gets to call Shaka. We're hitting the road. So hop in the truck with your host, Andrew McKean and Eric Dinger. Welcome to the On Gravel Podcast. Hello, listener. Good to be with you again. Nice to let us tickle your ear bones. And uh, we're going to have a shorter than normal, but I think delightfully cogent session together. This is On Gravel, episode number, what is it, Dinger? Do we even know? About four we million. Be, we, we have to be close to 100,000. Have to be. We should have, we should do something when we hit that, that mark. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, we are going to, yeah, McKean, me, uh, I've got a, a, I got a call in 40 minutes with uh, outfitters who indulge themselves in what I'm calling the horse economy. So that's going to be fascinating. Nay hmm. or yay. Uh, well, I'll just kick us off. It's McKean. It is May. We got some green up in Glasgow, Montana. I'm looking out at Willow Creek. It's got some nice fuzz of vegetation coming. I didn't think that was going to happen. Uh, and I'm crippled. The news of the week is my big marathon plan in three weeks. Don't think it's going to happen. I can barely walk. So... This is on gravel. I feel like I got a big piece of gravel in my left hip bone and it ain't fun. That's the news from here. What's going on with you, Hitchens? Um, well, I it's my mom's birthday. You don't say. Happy birthday. Yeah, I spoke with her this morning. Um, ever filled with wanderlust, she decided to uh, hop in the car with the dog and drive around southeastern Alberta. So she was actually probably pretty close to you, McKean. She was reporting back to me from all these amazing hidden gem places that I know quite well for my pursuit of mule deer. She, and uh, apparently she ran into a number of rattlesnakes, which is interesting because I, I feel negligent and not having warned her. But despite all the time that I spend down there, it's, you know, it's October, November, and the snakes are not a rattling, but the dog got out of there without getting bitten. She seems to have had fun. A strange man in a campsite complimented her on her calves, which is important specifically, and the reason I brought this up, because she had her hip replaced uh, a year and a bit ago, and it is quite the process. And so I beg you to please be mindful of the health of that very integral joint, because while the hip replacement can be a miracle, miracle cure, in the case of my mom, it was not, 
it was a strenuous rehabilitation process. And uh, I don't know why somebody that is as old and generally unathletic as you are is convinced that you need to drag yourself around a marathon rip. But uh, I admire the tenacity and suggest that you devote it to trying something that's both challenging and rewarding like archery hunting. That's what, there? What's going on with you? That's, that's <laughs> certainly one way to look at it, isn't it? <laughs> hey, Take so, care Andrew, we're going to have to unpack this hip for a second. But um, before you got on, I was telling Hitchens that my best buddy in the world got me a book. He's a big wine guy. I am an aspiring game chef. Said wine guy found a first edition of Wine for Game and Fish, The Sporting Wife's Companion. Need me to send you that book while you heal no, up that hip, Andrew? I think you need to send it to Hitchens, but that's clearly it's, it's a collector's edition because of the colossal misspelling of the headline. There's, a, there's an H missing from that first word, which would make it perfect for Hitchens. Oh, <laughs> see? Shots fired. Shots fired. Roka, Nebraska. Uh, crappies are biting. My son caught the biggest crappie I've ever seen in my life. It was better than 16 inches. He couldn't, it was longer than his forearm. It was really awesome. Yeah, about yay big. I don't, I've never seen a crappie that big. I didn't either. I, I saw that picture. It looked ridiculous. Yeah, what did like you catch it on? On a little black mips. Oh, a spinner. Mm. Little Aglia? Meps no, Aglia? It was, it was uh, well, here, I got a bunch of them. I guess I call it a Meps because it has a spinner on it. Um, it is a Roadrunner. Oh. That little fella. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, okay, sure. Got the marabou tail. Mm-hmm. There you go. Big news around here. No turkeys to be had. Yeah. But we uh, I killed a turkey since we talked last. That was fun. There's turkeys all over the place here. They don't seem to be having the trouble killing them. What are we talking about today? We only got 40 minutes. So we're going to so, right into the heart of the matter. I So yeah, we'll, we can talk about my undiagnosed torn labrum at some point. Um, we can talk about uh, why you would never enter a book, a record qualifying head into the Boone and Crockett record books, or maybe the motivations for keeping it quiet. Your great hunting success. Hitchens, I want to hear from you about that. Uh, I mean, that might be all we have time for, but I do want to have the world, our listener know that nuptials are in the offing for Hitcheroo. And I kind of want to know, like, the uh, expectational energy about that, or excitement, sort of like get this over with because it's been planned for so long. How are you feeling? And tell us about your bachelor party. Maybe we start with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the bachelor party was very fun. It, uh, I think the bachelor party was fun for the same reason that the wedding will be fun and the same reason I'm looking forward to the wedding. and. I, I think I underestimated the great joy that would be brought by bringing different factions of friends together in one place with the shared goal of 
pursuing revelry with absolute reckless abandon. And while the bachelor party obviously was a very extreme case of that, as I slept for 12 hours in four days, never even pulled back the sheets to my hotel room bed, um, left there as depleted as a human being as I've ever been and actually went straight to another job. So that was a, that was a scene in and of itself. I will tell you that after the four day bender, the Mexican domestic terminal in the airport is not the place that uh, you really want to be trying to have a, <laughs> try and recuperate. Um, but yeah, so it was amazing. And I think the wedding is hopefully going to be amazing for the same reason you bring, you bringing those groups of people together that, you know, you have met along the way and having them get the opportunity to interact and, and see what happens. And I think that um, as is consistent with most time that is spent with us, uh, we're usually a fairly live in pursuit of a good time, I think. And I think that that hopefully will be the common thread that uh, people feel and hopefully everybody absolutely sends it except for Iris who is not of legal drinking age. Um, and uh, although she, how old is she now? She's, uh, she's 18. Wow, she's legal in Canada. So that will be <laughs> at <parental> discretion. <laughs> I don't know if she'll figure that out on her own or not, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's certainly, you know, the third, this is our third time with pandemic cancellations, um, trying to have this thing. So it's, I wouldn't has all of the same luster as uh, the first time around, but I'm, I'm just excited to have a big party with a lot of people that I love and, uh, and to not have to go from Playa del Carmen to Guadalajara the day after. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know it could happen. Um, sounds like an abduction it could be a fun part of the wedding, you know, post-wedding celebrations. Would add intrigue. Um, I will not dwell on my maladies very much, except to say that I thought I had just sort of tweaked this damned thing, this critical joint on, uh, my pursuit of, of the archery equivalent of, uh, personal improvement, which was adding two miles to a long run every Sunday. So I got out to 18 miles, was feeling damned good not only because uh, I've been a lifelong runner and it's fun to have a, a goal to pursue, but because my rangy Labrador went with me for every one of those miles. And, you know, you don't think about labs, especially labs the size of Nellie being accomplished distance runners, but she actually made it pretty fun. She, I can't say she looked forward to each of those runs, but she uh, joined along with the sort of reckless abandon that she's known for doing everything. But anyway, yeah, I started off just being a little like, huh, wonder what that is to the degree that I literally, I, I cannot walk without, like, I feel like I've got a big obtuse uh, cycle in my left gate. So have you sought medical attention? Like, do we have a diagnosis? Yeah, so it was starting with like all of the, to the topical stuff, you know, massage, foam roll, and then I got dry needled twice. And there was a little bit of relief there because I think there was some tight muscles, but it's uh, it's it's deep, it's deep set. We'll see what happens. I will be happy to give you diagnoses as they arrive. But it's also a busy time. Like we've just entered the postseason with track. I've got every one of my uh, days, weeks, hours sort of lined out for the next three weeks. So we go to a divisional meet this Saturday, and then it's the state meet next Saturday. 
my mum arrives. Hitchens appears to have frozen himself in incredulity. And, uh, and then it's graduation. And then maybe I'll go see a doc. You have to go to the vet in Glasgow or are there doctors? So there is actually a fly-in orthopedic surgeon, but I'm a little reluctant to go see him because uh, all of his patients are octogenarians. And as far as I know, in his office, he has two tools. One is a ball peen hammer and the other, a saw. the other is a saw. Yeah. So I don't know if I want to go in there. Uh, All right. So that. here's what I'd like to get your perspectives on. Uh, I'm working on this outdoor life story that basically looks at the leakage, uh, trying to quantify the amount, number, percentage, whatever of otherwise eligible trophy big game heads that are not entered in any record book. You know, it's sort of an unknowable question, um, but there have been, there have been attempts to kind of quantify that over time. I'd be curious to get your take on that. Are, are half of the eligible animals not entered? Is it something much smaller, much, oh yeah, interesting. And by species. Um, so the Boone and Crockett folks think they probably get most of the, the, the sheep entered because that seems to be very important to the sheep hunter to enter their uh, head in the record book. But they, that they probably get far fewer than half of the whitetails on a continental basis. So I'm kind of curious to get your take on that. Why, what is that leakage? And then the squishier part of it is why, why people don't enter uh, records. You know, according to the Boone and Crockett, they're, if they're not deeply offended, they're just slightly huffy about it because they say it's, it's misunderstanding the whole idea of the record books, which are to try to over time quantify the health of wildlife populations and also use it as sort of a barometer to assess management victories and management failures um, by looking at, at kind of these trend lines over time. I don't know. Hitchens, have you ever shot a record book animal and not entered it? Uh, I don't know if anything I've, well, yeah, I've, 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 I mean, I've never entered anything Pope and Young and in most cases, if you shoot something with a bow that's a mature animal, it's Pope and Young. And so I think that, speaking specifically to Pope and Young first, I think that the arriving at the threshold to enter that record book is somewhat of an unremarkable feat. Um, if you're, you know, essentially if you, I, I know like with sheep, you basically like, it would be almost impossible to kill a legal ram that's not a Pope and Young animal. So if you kill sheep with your bow, then you're kind of in, I mean, and the, the, that is an accomplishment in and of itself, but like with deer, I don't know what the numbers are, but like, I'm sure my moose, moose, caribou, a handful of whitetails, my elk are all Pope and young animals and I never considered entering them. So I think that that's likely a piece of it. Um, in that the threshold is so low that inclusion is not necessarily honorary. And with Boone and Croc, Pocket. I think he's having a stroke. He looks so quizzical. So for our listener, Hitchens is frozen right now, and he's looking up into the right, which if I remember my psychology from college means he's lying right now. Is that true? 
Andrew? Not lying, but he's self-deceiving. And, and there's, you know, there's a fine line there, but I mean, he thinks he's telling the truth, but he also knows it might not be received that way by the listener. Mm -hmm. I think he was in the middle of a very long list of animals that belong on the Buddha Crockett list, which, I mean, if there's ever been anything a grown man would lie about, it's probably that. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's as big as you think it is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Definitely not as big as your wife. You want your wife to think of it. Well, carry on. Mm -hmm. I apologize for the disconnection that's unprofessional and, and poor quality podcastmanship. And I feel as though my disruption is unacceptable. Hey, the apology show was last time. No, it's every time. Oh. Um, I don't, how far into that diatribe did you get before the internet probably relieved you guys of listening to my answer? It was actually, we had some pretty good fun uh, while you were getting checked back in. We, we really feel like your frozen posture was an indication of self-deception. That you were, by the time you quantified all of the animals that probably would qualify, the you were just sort of constitutionally frozen and, and possibly also the Chinese bots who were listening to you froze you because they knew it was a lie. Um, I don't sorry, think I know. He's sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think, I think Pope and Young is like the, the, Book animal is not a, a meaningful enough thing to be book Pope and Young for people to go through whatever the effort is to enter it. And I think with Boone and Crockett, uh, to your point about sheep when they're far flung and um, and kind of a, a specific trophy hunt, I think that there's probably a pretty good inclusion. But I mean, if you're especially elk, you know, I wouldn't just consider it to be whitetail, but like if you have an elk or a mule deer or something and it's on a public land or it was a draw tag. I think a lot of people, you know, and sort of consistent with the behavior of hunters, they might share a picture of the animal, but they're definitely not going to share the region in which it was harvested. And I think, you know, Andrew, I know you worked on the, the story of the world record archery elk from Montana. And, you know, my understanding from stories I heard from people in that area is that the traffic in that region skyrocketed shortly afterwards, just because, you know, it was published knowledge that that's where that bull was killed. And I think a lot of people that, you know, accomplish the feat, the recognition is not worth the potential added competition, unless it is truly like a world record, as opposed to being something that's, that's entered because, you know, you see the heat maps and everything else where the big animals are coming from. And I mean, I know a lot of gigantic deer that get killed, especially in Kansas. And like, I don't know that I know of any that have hit, you know, have been entered to the record record books. So I can't imagine that the Boone Crockett's I would say it's like sub 10% um, for whitetails would be my guess. What do you think, Dinger? Hey, before I offer you my thought, uh, how, how does one become a member of the Boone and Crockett Club? Do you know? You mean a pro uh, professional member? Yeah. There's, uh, there's secret handshakes. You have to assassinate a... I don't think it anymore that you have to assassinate an elected official, but I think it has to be like a, an appointed uh, official and you have to get pictures of it. 
Oh, plus you have to bring their head back. And does the head have to be a certain size? No, and that's the thing. It's like people think that um, there, there are these thresholds apply to dignitaries, but they don't. Hmm. So what I fear about Boone and Crockett is an understanding that I've gained from now not having lived in the outdoor business every day. Um, it's just simply the Boone and Crockett Club would never, ever come up, ever, in the group of hunters that I deer hunt with. It, in the realm of the, the mass majority of hunters, the people who work in cities and travel back to the farm or go on their hunting trip every year or a couple of years, things like Boone and Crockett Club are just not part of the conversation. And so I would sooner see and have you know, anecdotal evidence from having been in the app business for a long time, people will happily put a picture on the internet, you know, even tell some part of the story, but it's sort of like the, the Facebooks and the Instagrams of the world are the Boone and Crockett's of 50 years ago in that this, the, the validation and the social scoring is now happening online and not in a publication or in somebody else's record book. So do you, are you saying that the record books are irrelevant? I don't think irrelevant. I just think that they're far less relevant to the preponderance of hunters and anglers. Like my, my son's fish, for example, this is a really good example. I think my son caught this big old crappie, 16 inches, we'll call it. And uh, I think it's super cool to get a kid a master angler pin. So we went to the Nebraska website and you have to download a like PDF, you have to print it out, you have to mail it in. And then I'm sure you got to wait some period of weeks in order to get it back. And my son has literally never written, he's nine, he's never written on an envelope. He had absolutely no idea what he was doing. And that's part of why I forced him through that process. But I think that's just, that's an anecdote of what's happened to some of these non-tech, non-sort of pop culture relevant things in the hunting world is the world's moved past where the first thing I would think to do when I shot a big deer is go to some website and fill out a form or download the PDF and send in the information. I just, I don't think that's how the world works anymore. I think there's, there's two ways of um, using the record book or even the terminology of Boone and Crockett. And one is the the physical, the, the, the specific organization that quantifies and accumulates these records. But I think there's a second one that's our collective shorthand for notation, you know, for assigning a score to an animal so that we can kind of have that as a common language. One of the, one of the takeaways from my interview with the Boone and Crockett Club is that they feel like some people don't enter records, maybe many people don't enter records because putting that sort of quantitative measurement on an animal reduces the value of the hunt or reduces the value of the, the qualitative, kind of the squishier parts of the animal. How valid do you think that is? I, well, for me personally, I, whenever I shot my bull elk with a bow, it was the highlight of my life and I refused to score that elk because I think it was roughly like in the 295 to 310 range. 
which is not giant. I mean, it's big. It was really big for where it was. It was the biggest elk in the zone. And to your point, Eric, it was quickly sort of swept the Alberta sphere elk internet. Um, but like for that one, like I don't want to reduce that animal to a number. And it's the only one, I've, only thing I've ever shot that I wouldn't score or haven't. I mean, there's stuff I haven't scored because it wasn't necessarily of consequence. But it's the Take one it. that like I don't want to score, I beca- and I won't. And if somebody ever sneaks a tape around it, like I don't want them to tell me, because um, it's just like it's it. In Canadian ease, I would you know it's like the Stanley Cup animal. You know, it's like the it's the apex. I can't imagine a better hunt and a more rewarding. You know, I shot bugle it in from thirty three cows, shot it at eleven yards with my bow, like herd bull, unbelievable, like it was just the best and so you know i don't want to look at another 305 inch elk someday and be like oh that's about as big as the one that uh, that redefined my life but like i'm in this zone like i don't want number attached to it so i do think that that i do think that that's valid but i think that the i just think that you know there's not a super clean way of having it entered like it needs to be officially scored which is feels daunting to people and I just think it's, you know, it's a decent chunk of, of work. And in many cases, when it's somebody that's got a good program going, it's a, it's eliminates the secrecy, but I, I wouldn't imagine that the assigning the numerical value is a huge deterrent. Like it is for me, I feel like that's very romantic of me to not want to attach a number to it. And I don't think that that's super pervasive. I think that like the, the club is remains relevant simply because of the scoring system, which I think is, you know, in, in many ways and many opinions flawed in some capacity, but it's kind of like, it is the standard by which we speak about game animals. And from that alone, it's provided sort of an irreplaceable contribution to the, the dialogue around hunting and the ability to share and discuss um, wildlife. But yeah, I, I don't know that the, that the abstaining from measurement is really a huge factor. Like I, I know, again, to use my sphere of personal knowledge i know uh, a lot of people that know the exact to the eighth of an inch score of their animal every year i probably get you know 50 to 150 messages around oh i shot x and it was y inches and i bet that like one of those would be entered annually it's just not a thing to that people go through the process of having done so is it irrelevant I, don't, I think you're hearing from both of us, no, it's not irrelevant, but it's definitely not for me and in the circles I run and it's never top of mind. It, the, the idea that we could score it is generally part of how deer camp runs, but the idea that we would submit that to somebody to somehow validate that story or that deer or that experience just never ever crosses my mind. And maybe that's because I haven't shot a big enough deer, which you could certainly accuse me of, but, but I don't, I, I think Hitchens point is, is really well stated that, you know, the, the vast majority of hunters, vast majority hunt for food and for experience. And among the trophy hunters, I would guess there is some irrelevance and some maybe outright apathy or fear, at least towards wanting to have the, the location of their animal somehow known by someone. 
Yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with anything anybody said here. I think, um, in fact, to Hitchens' point also with having the score known, you know, I hunted this one buck, whitetail buck last year for the majority of the season. And I finally killed it um, with a friend of mine who was here as uh, my landowner sponsored hunter. And, and, you know, we wowed it and we took pictures of it in the field and we like just indulged ourselves in just looking at this thing. And we brought it back here and I hung it up on the forks of the front end loader and uh, hung it overnight to cool out. And the next day, uh, my friend was still here. I had to go to work. I think it was still coaching at the time. And, and, uh, he had been at the house alone and you never know what your friends are going to do at your house when nobody's here. Well, he spent his time scoring my deer. He could not wait to tell me when I pulled into the vehicle. Fast facts was the first thing he said, he was just was falling over himself to blurt out what the score was. And I, I didn't want to know. And I, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm mad that he told me and I'm kind of mad that he like assumed that I would want to know that badly. Um, Not mad that you had the taxidermist tilt him open a little. What did he score though? I'm not going to even say. Uh, yeah, Honestly, I, I don't really even remember. It just wasn't a meaningful thing to me. It never has been, but yeah, I, I do think it's meaningful though. Like the number, the number means a lot to a lot of people. Um, but I think another thing, just as you're mentioning the the scoring bit, you know, it's you're self-reporting, so there's a massive amount of in integrity wrapped up in things. And like, I struggle with some people because they they sort of measure too conservatively, and like they'll get a number and be like, they'll just miscellaneously subtract two inches just because they feel as though it's a protection of their integrity. And like that's I'm like okay I'm gonna measure it to the best of my ability and then the number that I get is what I think it is because I'm used looking at the tape you know but I think that there's a little bit of fear for people you know you measure something you say the number nobody really knows what a drying period does so like if I were to shoot something you know measure it that day in excitement and then the official score is like smaller was that the drying period or have I just inflated the tails of everything I've said by two to three inches um over the years you know and that's that's like a little daunting i think to have that kind of dry and because it's like oh it's a drying period but like does it really dry like what really changes you know I, I think that's that kind of freaks me out a little bit and i think that might play on some people um andrew you can score a turkey and we tried really hard with the nwtf to get turkey scoring to be a thing um i think we had something like 8,000 people do it one year or something like that through our tech. So we all score our deer or most deer get scored that are above a certain size. Why is it we don't do that with turkeys? And what, what would that teach us about why we don't do it with deer? Oh, well, I have an opinion on this around turkeys because it's, there's not really a genetic or forage based great like turkey's measurements are you could have your weight which i'm not sure what the scoring method are but it, essentially it's it's weight beard and spurs the beard is is a maybe a bit of a genetic expression of being big or healthy but it's also very weather dependent spurs are essentially an age classification and weight is essentially contingent on one partially geography but two just whether or not they're eating the, out of the bird feeder all winter so like 
you you don't have freaks you know it's like i've never seen somebody shoot a turkey and just have it's like oh it's got a 16 inch beard and three inch spurs like that's that's nuts it just kind of can't happen and if it does happen it would seem exceedingly dubious just because like the growth of the beard is limited by the terrain so like if you had antlers that once a buck hit 160 inches he just started rubbing them on the clouds and it could no longer grow like i don't think people would give a shit about that either like it's with turkeys it's a it's an age classification with the spur length and i think that once you get to a certain point of like turkey hunting enthusiasm and knowledge all you really care about is you look at the spurs you see how old he is if he's you know three you're stoked if he's four you're like wow impressive and if he's two you're stoked and then it's that's it there's no like there's nothing wild you know I disagree with you. I mean, the the crazy freak show when it comes to the turkey world are the multiple beards. And, you know, because that's a that's a factor in it. And whether those are just aberrant things or whether there's sort of some sort of genetic expression, but that's you what it also- before you shot it though. That's the other thing. It's like you're not like you know, <laughs> looking at them through the spectacles being yeah. like I'm not saying it's like part of the causality of killing that particular animal, but I do think it's also a little bit of a mis misnomer or at least a mismomer mismeasurement because the beard length can be one strand right not necessarily you're not really you don't have a girth measurement on a beard so you can have and and sometimes it's even hard to parse what's an individual what's a separate beard from you know there's a lot of thumb on the scale of that measurement system. and you're not shooting the bird because of what it's you're not like oh man that one's gonna go 165 i'm gonna roast them it's like oh turkey in range you know like you, you, i just um, don't like i think that if you shoot a big deer generally speaking you're either bestowed upon had bestowed upon you a great fortune or increasingly you did something to identify that deer and 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 pursue it or maybe even identify it years in advance and and you know prevent it being harvested till the right time there's like a there's a story that goes into this and the year over year recognition of animals and the antlers being like not a wearable, like they don't degrade depending on weather or, or you could, I guess you could break points and stuff. But I just think it's a completely different uh, thing because a turkey's like, what is, oh, shoot it over, roll shoot it, roll it over and see how big it is as opposed to a deer where you, you in many cases have known for years. Like we had, what Matt's brother shot a deer this year called, we called 2020. And then we decided in 2020 that he was probably going to be 2021 and he became 2021. And it was like our third or fourth year of, of watching that deer grow. And like, you know, the, the, you're just not going to get that with turkeys. Have you either, either of you ever hunted a place that had a, um, this is very much a Texas thing, but like a minimum score threshold where you know if you you're 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 punished some ways or there's a you know there's a penalty if you shoot an animal underneath a certain or below a certain size. You know, I I've certainly done that, you know, in rider hunts or something where they outfitted hunt where they're trying to maintain a, a an, an age class and size standard. And I, I guess I get the management um, rationale for that, but it's deeply insulting. And it's also, it also kind of plays on how wrong people can be about their ability to field judge animals. Um, half of the people. Like you're not, you know, it's age. Age is the only thing that matters. It's not like, you know, I, if, like if, if you have a six-year-old deer that's under 130 and you shoot a six-year-old deer under 130, you shouldn't get your like 
can't fine for that. You should be that should you should be grateful for that. If you shoot a two year old deer that's one thirty, you know they theoretically should fine your hunting license if they're really worried about trophy management. So it's like it's just a really dumb way to to punish people and select for for ill informed harvest. It's it's a horrible management tool in my opinion. Aside from the the feelings that it makes you have about. Yeah. I know it helps uh, in my friend group. It helps the sorting process for who's going to get their ass ridden all year versus who doesn't. So that it has that utility. Uh, for example, for several years, I was known to have shot the smallest deer in my friend group because if I haven't shot a beer, a deer bigger than the biggest one I've ever shot on the last day of the season, I shoot the smallest deer I can because they taste better. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> All right, we have a minute left. I want to hear from each of you about your your scoring system. What would be the dinger method? Mm. I'm going to pull out my book, and I'm going to admit to something I have not publicly before. But I am finally of the length of tooth apparently required to enjoy red wine and almost all good wine. And I made Indian food the other night with backstrap that paired with red wine was about as good a food as I've ever had in my life. And so I'm going to say that my scoring system will be based on its contribution to the culinary and liquid arts. The Nosh, the Nosh score. Yeah. Hitchens, what about you? Uh, I actually think they got it right. I've been in many of many a conversation over the years where it's like, oh, nets are for fishing or, you know, they don't, they reward the spread too much or, you know, you should count every inch that's grown. And it seems to be very contingent on whatever animal we're gathered around. We find a discretion in the rules that, that inadequately celebrate the animal that we're next to. I think if I were to make a tweak, I would have non-typical be a pure gross measurement and have typical be the same. I think that would be the change that I would suggest because once it's, once it's a non-typical, let's just celebrate the amount that the animal was able to grow. But I think that if you look through the record class animals or the record books or whichever ones score biggest, especially from a net standpoint, they tend to be the animals that are really most impressive. And I think that, um, especially in the whitetail context, there's a lot of deer that'll score really high with a lot of trash that are, you know, not book animals by the book or by from a typical standpoint. And you can have a clean 171 net whitetail that is, you know, sort of the apex of the species. And I think that I think that they actually, considering the time that they did it and the inputs they had, I think they really did a pretty marvelous job of creating a baseline for quantification. Hmm. I, I could pick apart lots of sort of aesthetic um, standards that I disagree with, but I, I kind of agree with you overall. I think it's, I think you're right. The thing I think is they got wrong is there's, uh, or there's, there's less of a 
reward for mass than there is sort of time length. And I think that when I look at, when I, when I see what I think is an impressive animal, it's the mass that catches my eye, not necessarily like the just linear dimensions of things. It's just sort of that, that preponderance of, of antler. And so I actually think that is wrong. I don't, I don't think the, that mass is rewarded enough. So could we create a volume metric called the McKean Hitchens scorebook where you have to actually dip the antlers in the water? It's and a displacement measurement, water? I guess. Yeah, it's a displacement. I, like, I think, I find that's interesting, but I still think that like, there are animals that would dominate in that that are not as impressive. And I think that like, for basically quantifying the amount that something impresses you when you see it, either with a fleeting glance or, you know, after hours of observation, that's where, that's where I become increasingly impressed by the way that they did, you know, figure it out. I did, I did invent my own scoring system once. So I think I might've shot my shot on that in high school. We had a big buck contest that I orchestrated and uh, my official scoring method was inside spread plus points times two to keep it nice and, uh, nice and doable. And tight. For minus, so that, that worked kind of well here. Minus 10 for every bullet shot and preparation or during the harvest of the animal. <laughs> What do you, what do you start at? I don't know. You can have a negative number in your archery only scoring system. I think that would be regional specific too, because I'm guessing, you know, sort of the Ontario lever gun uh, brigade probably shoots quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that would not, that would not work. And the nice thing about Ontario is for the most part, the deer are they have short times widespread. So you just count them up and it, it actually worked fairly well, but yeah, do hunting is it's it's binary if you want to go have a go do the sniper nerd stuff and and if you want to worry about how many shots it takes i mean that's a you, you're doing your best out there but at the end of the day you don't want to discourage people from taking a follow-up shot i remember that when i was in kodiak with mckean i shot a deer i made a bad shot and i'm right back on it the old backwoods whitetail instincts are just pulsing through my vein and he's like oh it's good it's good it's good it's fine it's good it's like oh maybe shoot kapow <laughs> i was like waiting i'm like here's i'm under the prying eye of the predator in chief great the man who succeeded at everything except for marathons apparently and i'm trying to hold my own as a rifleman and uh yeah i mean i just absolutely let her eat until it's laying down I, that's what a gun's for i mean let's make it happen it's, so I think that there, you could potentially dissuade some ethical decision-making by uh, having people count the shots. So I, I officially object to the minus 10 for every shot it takes. All right, Labraham, send us out. There we have it. All right, I'm going to go talk about the horse economy. Uh, I'd like to bring that to the uh, Politburo for our next one. But until then... I do hope that you take this conversation to your buddy, your only one listener, and hash it out, preferably on gravel. Till next time.